0: Oh man, if you only knew the sermon that was coming, I'm not sure you would have come today. This, <laughs> this one is convicting all week long, all week long. I've just been like, I'll say something. And then right after I finish saying it, i be like, oh, the Holy Spirit just zaps you right there. And you, oh, no, guys, here's the deal. That was not cool. Not okay. That was not a good word me to speak. And so today, uh, brace yourselves uh, to be convicted by the Lord. But boy, we want that, don't we? We want to be convicted of the things that grieve him and delighted in the things that bless him. As we begin this morning, I just want to ask a, a few questions here. I'm, I'm curious about some of these things. Uh, who out there, by show of hands, who are the Mac people in the house? Mac people, okay? Okay. There's just a few. It's okay, you don't have to be ashamed. Put that hand up. Get it up. All right, we're Mac. Oh, there's a few more. Okay. PC people. But you don't like those Macs. Okay. Whoa. My people right there. Okay. Now, that's an interesting thing. It's not a lot of dogma there. You know, it's what works. What you like. How about this one though? Chevy or Ford? Who's our Chevy people? We got Chevy. Okay. And the Ford people. Ooh, wow. Man, I thought maybe this would be more of a a thing in the heartland, but this is, that's pretty real out here. Uh, I drive a Toyota, I'm sorry. (laughs) All right, now please don't raise your hand on this one. I don't want to start any fights. Uh, CNN or Fox News? (laughs) Okay? Now, I put this up here because I I, I just was struck once again this week. Something will happen in the news. And we have this instinct that that which has happened, whatever it may be, will be reported extremely differently based upon the channel you tune into. So if you go to CNN, you kind of expect to hear something, and, and it has a certain flavor and tone. If you go over to Fox News, you're going to hear the same event reported in a very different way. And this is what bugs me, is I'm 42 years old. I still remember when the, when the news, it wasn't like this. Do you remember? It used to be far more concerned about objectivity, not manipulation. This subjective news reporting is sickening. And I just, just, just want to say, just tell me the facts. What was the event? That's what reporting is i hope but more and more we get commentary we get interpretation of events we get manipulation of facts and data and events to the end that the news network has in mind we find ourselves believers in a very interesting day you turn on talk radio and you will discern a tone there's a tone A feel, a vibe. I got to the point at a point along the way where when I was working construction, daily listening to this one um, guy with a gold microphone, uh, I I got angry and jaded, and I was increasingly just like grumpy. And I had to turn it off. It was it was reaching my soul. What is that? What is and it's not only talk radio. You, you turn on any news network and you, you catch this, we live in a day where the tone of our day is sharper than ever. It cuts, and it wants to. It wants to divide. We are a divided nation, politically, certainly, on a lot of events. What about in the church? What's the nature of the tone we should take with one another? How do we do this? What does it look like to shine, to stand out, in a culture increasingly hostile with one another. What I'm getting at here is tribalism. Tribalism. It is something that we are in and around, but we don't often put a word to it. Tribalism. Uh, The behavior and attitudes that stem from strong loyalty to one's own tribe or social group. Right? So when the Chevy people raise their hand, I'm like, ah, my people. Right there, yeah. I drove a Chevy Love. That was my first <laughs> truck. I'm repping. And then but it's not enough there, is it? It's not enough just to say hey, we like Chevys. It's what we don't like Ford cuz they're found on road dead, right? Ford or on and on and on. So you you it's easy to move from here we are, we're all together, we love it to there they are. And they are not what we are now tribalism can be extremely helpful when you think about who we are we're chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation we've been called out of darkness into the marvelous we have identity in our faith we are one people we have we have a purpose and a calling but what is that purpose and calling to make known the excellencies of him who has done this for us we are, we are called to go and shine and love and reach. And so we have to guard against this tendency to enjoy those who think like we do, who share our values, but at the same time not overstate that or begin to point the finger and say, look at that group. They are not like us. We do not approve. They are not okay. And all of a sudden, we fall into something that's very normal for our day. It is extremely easy to fall into this category, and I confess, I need this sermon. I'm telling you, I, I have benefited from this, preaching this to myself all week. We to, we're together in this, I believe. So, reminding ourselves of this very familiar verse in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. Here, in the church, because of what Christ has done, here, There is not Greek Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ, Christ is all and in all. He is the common in our unity. He's what we gather around. He is the focus. And it is in him that we have all things in common. Hmm. Now, What's interesting about the church is that the church is a a, a called out people from various pasts and and all these uh, diverse backgrounds to be one people, but not the same. The glory of God is not in sameness, but in unity of diversity. Okay, you see, this is why it's so important we have a heart for nations, people who look very different than we do, who speak all kinds of different languages and share values that that are very different than ours and 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 worship differently than we do. We are one in Christ and different as well. So the forever experience of worshiping and glorying, glorifying God on the new heaven and new earth, I believe is not that we all look the same. It's that we look radically different from one another. And we may have all kinds of different experiences, but we worship one Savior with one Spirit, in one joy, one people. I I, I want us to see a vision for something that transcends tribalism. We have to do this as Christian people, otherwise this sermon from Jesus, it won't find a home in our expression. And uh, I think this is one of the ways that we, we live this out then. So the call here today, judge not, but love. Judge not, but love. And I would like to pray for the Lord's help as we dive into these verses. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. Oh, it's so refreshing. It's so clear and straightforward and yet so unbelievably challenging to our instinct and our normal mode of operating it cuts through the cultural fog and that that impulse that sense that this isn't the best way and then we read your word and we see it we we feel it's right this is this is the best and so father we pray as we study your words for us today that we would from a place of believing that this in fact is the greatest gift that we have to to, to obey you, to live and walk with you and please you and to follow your commandments. That it is the best way to live, Lord. Help us to see our sin, our propensity to see in others that which we need to see in ourselves. And repent of. Lead us on now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Judge not, but love. I want to begin with a beloved and misquoted verse. A beloved and misquoted verse. You might know where we're going today. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Okay, so what's fascinating about this verse in Jesus' sermon is that there are a whole lot of people that don't even own a Bible, but they can quote you this verse. Have you heard it? Yeah judge not man hey don't judge why is this verse so widely popular it is a verse quoted by people who would even call themselves atheists it is a treasure of a culture especially a cultural climate right now why is that why this verse who are you to judge me i've heard that that's a fascinating one it takes it farther than don't judge it, 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 it says, who, who are you? How, how dare you judge me? What gives you the right to judge me? And maybe the mantra is just live and let live. Just live and let live, man. Hey, your truth, that's fine for you. But don't you bring your truth into my world. I do what I want to do. And you don't judge is that what Jesus is saying? Is there, is there just a simplistic blanket? We, sh- we shouldn't judge? Or is there something more? If, if I live my life as I please, do whatever I want, and I never judge anybody, does it mean that I will not be judged? Is that what Jesus is saying? You can do whatever you want. Sin it up as long as you don't commit the most horrific sin, which is ever judging anyway. If you don't do that, you're going to be okay. That's a conclusion people draw. Judgment in our day seems to be the antonym of tolerance, doesn't it? We live in a day that is is just oozing with this message of tolerance. And it's so ironic because I will be tolerant of you in all the things that I deem important, but at the place along the way where something of your importance is intolerant of me, then I'm intolerant of you, you see? It's tolerance is, as I, as I define it, intolerance is the response. It's just the same as saying, judge not. If I say, hey, who are you to judge me? What am I doing? Well, I'm judging you, judging me. I'm doing the very thing I'm blaming you for doing. And in doing it, I'm committing the same offense. It's ironic, isn't it? Does this mean that Jesus has wiped out all categorically wiped out all biblical discernment that we that we just shouldn't judge at all? Do not judge. What about moral judgment? No way, man, that is wrong. I'm telling you that is wrong. Well, hey, don't judge. Who are you to judge? Maybe it's wrong for you. You can't tell me it's wrong for me. Right and wrong, good and bad. What about the entire court system? Are judges the most evil people in our society? That's what they do for a living. They judge. What do we make of this? Obviously, I'm overstating the point, but I think it's important we see this. Church discipline, categorically, is it just dissolved because you cannot judge? Absolutely not. So it's very important that we understand Jesus is speaking these words in the context of a sermon. And you cannot just reach in, grab the verses that give you license to live as you please, and then throw them at people whenever they point out the fact that you are living your life in sin. Hey, don't judge. Don't judge. There's something far more than Jesus intends for us here. So what is he saying? Listen to some other verses of Jesus. These are Jesus' words. So judge not, you will not be judged. Condemn not, you will not be condemned. And then in John 7, he says this, do not judge by appearances, but here comes a command, judge with right judgment. Oh, well, wait a sec, Jesus, which is it? Are we to judge or not? You see, it's not so simple. We can't just categorically say, judging is wrong. Because Jesus commands us to judge. In fact, Jesus himself, uh, just a few chapters later on in Luke, does this. He says to the Pharisees, You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And then he throws this question to them. Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? See what he's saying? You should be judging What is right and wrong? This is important. You you can discern all these things, but you can't discern what's right in front of your face, what's right from what's wrong. And Jesus calls him out on it in a very straightforward way. Who, by the way, Jesus is the judge. He has every right to judge. Interesting. Paul said it this way to the first Corinthians, I speak to sensible people, Judge for yourselves what I say. Or we go back to Zechariah, what we've been studying in Sunday school. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Oh, what a beautiful coming together of these. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. Let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. That may be a clue for us what is Jesus pointing to what's he calling us to I think this directs our attention it's not don't judge it's judge rightly in kindness and mercy see things for the way they really are so the question then begs what is Jesus really saying let's let's dial in a little bit closer on the on these verses We just left off last week with this verse, okay? Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So there's the flow. Jesus is preaching a sermon. Here's the flow. He's pointed us to the Father to see mercy. And we're immediately reminded, we've received mercy. And then he says, judge not. Oh, okay, okay. Notice what you have experienced from the Father and do the same. Judge not, you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. I think he's pointing us to this. Jesus is forbidding the harsh, vengeful, demeaning, critical, unloving. That's the main word there, right? Unloving judgment of our neighbors. And the context says even our enemies. Hmm. Well, What does this look like? What does this look like? Because it's not often that we say, hey, okay, everybody, here, here it comes. I'm going to, in an evil and sinful way, I'm gonna judge someone. Ready? Here we go. <whistles> no, it it comes quick. And all of a the sudden, these words are happening, and I'm like, whoa, wait a second. Something isn't okay here. Quick to criticize. Quick to take things personally. Quick to assume the worst. Or assign wrong motives. As if somehow I can see the heart. I can't see the heart. I I don't even know when that person said that if they meant it the way that I have received it. Hmm. Judging and condemning. The condemning part is, is counting someone unworthy, maybe even unsavable. It's, it's when you say, basically, you, I'm going to write you off. You are not worthy to be near me in my sphere. I'm writing you out. You are categorically separated from me. And potentially even suggesting unsavable to pass judgment in that way. It, it feels this way. You see, do you feel that? It's that in us. When all of a sudden, it just wells up, no, and the finger is pointed. It's really a, an interesting thing. When you go to Uganda, you're not supposed to point at anybody. And friends, we are Americans. We point, okay? We do this all the time. I'm like, now, which building is it over here, over there? And there's a whole bunch of people, and they're seeing me point right at them. And I'm like, eh, okay, yes, a, yeah, that one over there? You know, quick to point the finger. You write someone off completely. Hmm. Jesus did not do this. He did not do this. Hmm. Judgment and condemnation or He gives us an alternative. So two things He says not to do and then two things He says that we are to do. Giving and forgiving. Listen to what he says. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. And then he builds this out, this, this, this lavish giving. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Wow. What's going on in this? The kingdom people that Jesus is teaching are to, to, to live a certain way in the kingdom and among those that they are seeking to reach with the kingdom message. That, that way, that vibe, that, that tone that they take is not to be a tone of, of condemnation and judgment, it is to be a tone of love and mercy, a tone of forgiveness quick to forgive, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, just like the Father. A tone of of giving, quick to give, quick to help, quick to meet needs. Get past and seek to bless. This is the echo of last week, isn't it? Bless them, pray for them, help them look at the father's blessing this is a uh, the imagery here is of, of grain in the marketplace you bring a, a a vessel to to bring grain home and the grain uh, seller would would pour the grain in but he wouldn't just stop when it fills up he would shake it together press it down to fit as much as possible into that and that's not enough he would pour so much on top that it it begins to spill over and he would hand it to you you have to pull up your coat and, and there's grain running everywhere, and you're going home like this because there's so much, such a generous portion has been given. This is the Father's lavish blessing for those who give. His kingdom people, when they honor Him this way, when they glorify Him this way, He delights to reward. Now, sometimes that reward is in this life. We can't say it's not. There have been people unbelievably blessed, both materially and financially. But for those prosperity preachers who say that's all we should seek, they miss the whole point. It's relationship with the Father. It's delighting in obedience. And He says, don't lay up temporal blessings. Lay up eternal rewards. And so we look to that which is unfading and kept in heaven. Hmm. Kingdom people... Live this way. Kingdom people show themselves as those who have been forgiven and so they forgive. They show themselves to be those who have been not condemned when they should have been condemned and so they don't condemn when maybe even they have the right to. Hmm. James 4, 6b. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is such a good tone to seek, a flavor. What is, what is it, Lord, that I want people to experience when they come in contact with my life? Oh, we long for this, not this. How dare you? You're not good enough. You're a sinner. You're unworthy. Get out. You're not one of us. You drive a Ford. No, it's has gone. Come on. Come on in. Tell me about it. Let's talk. How can I help? What can I do to bless you? How can I serve? What can I give? How can I forgive? This is gospel-centered love. And it is only possible through the gospel. It's only possible to do this through the power of the gospel. We're reminded what He has done for us and it's from that... That we overflow to love in this way. You cannot do this apart from Christ. Not in any real or significant or God honoring way. You can attempt it, and then you'll find yourself patting your back. Good boy, pretty impressive. Look at all the sacrifice you've done, all the people you've loved. If it's not done to the glory of God, it's vain, it's worthless. Mm. now three illustrations these just exploded for me this week i i keep using that term i I feel like that happened it's i I stared at these over and over how do they connect why was why would he go from this to these what what connection do they have and here's what i found they're all saying the same thing jesus illustrates this three different ways with three different parables of, of sorts the blind leading the blind first of all Start with the blind leading the blind. He also told them a parable. He said this, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? What's he getting at here? If we seek to help as kingdom people, we want to love, we want to help, but we too are blind, what kind of help are we going to be? He's preaching this to his disciples, to his people, to his followers, kingdom people. You could put it this way. Someone blind to their own sin is no help to someone who is blind to theirs. If I ignore the blatant and blaring sin in my life, choose to just pretend that that I'm okay and i I find myself in this this place of exaltation of of my own state of being, and then I see someone over here, oh, that poor person, I'll help them with their sin. I am blind. I am blind. I am no help at all. We're both going to fall into the pit, Jesus says. Hmm. So it calls us to a very familiar verse. Oh, before I go there, Just note this, Jesus refers to the Pharisees as blind guides. Blind guides. And it's possible in this scenario, he's warning his disciples, be aware, guys, what you have known as normal spiritual leadership out here is not acceptable to God. Just blind guides are not going to help the Pharisees were so commonly just exalting themselves, right? It it puffs up. It puffs up. Knowledge puffs up, but, but love builds up. So they look in. They see their sin. Oh, gospel addresses sin. Now, now I love. Now I find a place to go. King David, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. What a prayer for a kingdom person. This is what Jesus calls us to, I believe. Don't don't seek to help people until you see. You've got to see your sin. See what he's done. Know this forgiveness. And delight in what he's done. And in that, you will find sight to guide and direct and help and bless A second part of this illustration, the teacher and the disciple, verse 40. He goes on to say this, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And I remember staring at this and being like, "Uh, where's the, like, what's the flow here? What's he saying? And when we get that, in, in its experience, the teacher and the student, and, and the, the student is seeking to learn to be like the teacher. Well, in, in this day, culturally speaking, they wanted to be exactly like the, the rabbi. So the, the the Talmudim would follow the rabbi in his dust, they would follow and go everywhere and listen, hang on every word they wanted to, to, to copy exactly like it. To take that yoke upon themselves and know it so well that they could speak for the rabbi before he would actually speak, and the words would be the same. Hmm. To suggest in this day that a, a disciple was above his teacher would have been the height of arrogance. Here's Jesus. He's the teacher of all teachers. And he's speaking these words to us, his kingdom people. What's he calling us to? Well, in our day the flaws and faults of the teacher are often passed to those who follow his lead. This weighs on me as your pastor. It weighs on us as elders. The reality is is that we are sinners saved by grace. We are works in progress. I have areas of my life that are under construction. And there are times where my faults and weakness and failures are hindrances to you. So, what should the teacher and the disciple do? Keep a close watch on yourself, Paul says to young Timothy. Watch your life and your doctrine, guard them, keep a close watch on them. Don't don't skip over important things integrity, obedience, faithfulness, fight and kill sin, and on your teaching, your doctrine. Make sure you've got your theology in a row. Line it up. Keep it scriptural. Preach what accords with sound doctrine. Look at the implication. Persist in this, Timothy, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Hmm. The call is for the leaders to be those who look for their own sin and point the followers, the teachers, the disciples, to do the same. If the teacher is unconcerned with looking in and finding his sin or his weakness or addressing his issues, his blind spots, he does violence to those who follow his lead. What an amazing thing to hear from Jesus who was a teacher with no sin. And what an amazing thing to consider that someday we will be like him. We are His students, His followers, His disciples. And we are being made day by day, increasingly so, in the image of our teacher, our rabbi, Jesus. Now it says a a third one, a third illustration here. This is a familiar one. (laughs) I've, I've heard this used in the context of, hey, don't judge, man. Get the log out of your own eye, right? You don't have to be pulling a speck out of my eye which is ironic because it always appears like the log is in the other person's eye. That, have you noticed that? You're never the one with the log if you're on autopilot. If you're just reacting, if that sin nature is, is, is echoing in your soul, the other person always has the log. Let me help you see clearly, I'll get that log out of your eye. Let's read how Jesus says it. He, he uses these extreme... Uh, illustrations to to, land his point. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, Jesus says. First, take the log out of your own eye. And then, don't forget the last part of this, then he says, it's good, it's right. Then you can see clearly to help and take the speck out of your brother's eye. He's not categorically saying there's no place for us to reach out and say, brother, there's something in your eye. I don't know if you can see that. Let me help you. He's saying, first, look in. First, look for logs. You might be seeing a log Not a speck. Make sure that you see accurately. The sin I'm quick to see in others is often the sin I fail to see in me. That's how I would put this. The sin I am quick to see in others is often the sin I fail to see in me. Just run the the videotape here, okay? That which really winds me up in other people, if I'm honest, many times, is exactly the problem I have. One of the ironies of of a a sin nature that echoes in kingdom people, we have a new nature, we've been remade, but we have this echo, this instinct, this autopilot that wants to crawl up out of the grave and express itself. And one of the ways that happens is I see other people behaving in ways that drive me nuts, but I don't see my sin as worse. Hmm. C.J. Mahaney said, my perception of my own sin is as accurate as a carnival mirror. I can can spot your sin all day long. That's easy. The problem is that work should first be pushed in. Lord, open my eyes. Show me my sin. Help me see where I am off base. Reveal pride. Reveal this heart of judgmental attitudes. Reveal this responsiveness, this defensiveness. Show me my sin. That's the kingdom longing for the people who desire to grow in grace. It's one of the first places I go in marriage counseling. We could sit here all day and hear all the reasons she's wrong. Let's talk about you first. Or vice versa. Tell me what you bring to the table. It is, it, is, it is unbelievably common when people come in and they're upset that this is happening. I rarely see someone come in broken and, and just saying, this is our problem. It's me. I'm the problem. And I feel horrible because of what I've done. Oh, if we could begin counseling there. The sin I'm quick to see in others is often the sin I fail to see in me. If we could resolve in humility to seek to change that little by little, it would revolutionize our relationships. It would radically change this impulse to point the finger and cast judgment and condemnation. You see how this shines? friends this shines this is not norm this is supernatural this is not instinctual for sinners this is kingdom change transformation from the inside out these are the ways i would say we are called here by jesus look in when i am prone to judge to point the finger to pound the gavel first my friends look in look in where is sin Where is pride? Where is this arrogance that would operate that would somehow exalt my tribe over this group or that group or my personhood over this person? Where is the sin? Because it's not a question of if, is it? It's the question of where. There's always sin to find. We are to be hunter killers of sin in us in us. If I had a hatred for the sin in me, like I am disposed to hate the sin in others, I would be far more holy than I am now. Lord, help my sin to break my heart like it breaks your heart. That's a prayer to pray. Help my heart to grieve over my sin, rightly, humbly, acknowledging it for what it is, owning it fully. This is wrong and it's there. Kingdom people have a place to go. So the very next place we look is up. You look up. I look in and I see sin. What do I do with it? I look up and I see a Savior. I see a risen Savior. I see hope for a sinner who deserved hell forever. I see forgiveness. I see sonship. I see uh, the eternal joy. I see the burden buried. Gone. And I rejoice. 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So look in, then look up and find a place to go with that conviction. It's good to be convicted by the Spirit for sin in your life. You want this. But don't stay there, run to the cross. And find a place of forgiveness and joy and freedom. And now you're ready to help reach. You will see things more clearly. You will not be a blind guide. You will have more clarity. You will have a selfless love to come. Rather than to point a finger in someone's face, you come like this. Come alongside. We all can grow in this. This kind of love is radical this kind of response, the world, they won't understand. This is is foreign to our world. It's humility. Humility. Rightly assessing ourselves in light of our sin and God's holiness. It's from a place of humility that we love. That we love. Now, listen to the kingdom emphasis here. I just feel this echoing out of these verses that that we've covered here. The kingdom emphasis that I think we see is this mercy, not judgment. It's mercy. As you have been the recipient of the mercy of of the Father Himself through Christ, so to show mercy. We don't have to be the people that point the finger. And cast judgment. There is one judge. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We don't have to be the executioner. We don't have to write people off and condemn them. We are to call them to Christ where there's hope for every sinner. Mercy, not judgment. Compassion, not condemnation. When my heart breaks, does it first break for my own sin and the grievous nature of it and find joy in and peace in the place that I stand because of God's grace in me. And then from that place, can my heart break for the lost? I understand. Sinners are sinners. They're blind to Jesus. They're lost. They're running for hell. What do they need more than anything? They me to jam my finger in their face and, and, and condemn them harshly, be a critic, point out all the things that are wrong in their life. Or should I point them to Jesus where there's hope, where there's hope? There is a way to love in truth and grace. We are to speak the truth in love. So yeah, when I have opportunity, I call people to acknowledge that they are sinners. We are all sinners. We're hopelessly lost on our own. That's important to see that. But what's the goal? What's the motive? Is it a heart of anger? Somehow I'm better? No, it's love. Motivated by love and compassion. Sinners have to acknowledge their sinful condition before they will cry for a Savior. And when we call that to a culture that is so intoxicated with self-esteem and self-help, they don't want to acknowledge sin. God does amazing things. So mercy, compassion, and humility. Humility. Jesus brought something to the scene that these people had not witnessed. They had not seen this in the the spiritual leaders of their day. They saw arrogance and pride. They saw rules. They saw performance. They saw all of these things. And Jesus comes in and He loves And He speaks to people who would not even be spoken to by the religious elite of their day. Humility. The greatest display of of humility is the cross of Christ. The one who deserved to die least in the history of mankind laid his life down to die a brutal death. And then He calls us to do the same. So, There's a lot of ways to land the sermon, but I think the Holy Spirit will see to it to land it in your life. It's my prayer that you will be sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit as you go today. As you're conversing, even this afternoon, as we talk throughout the week, as you think and engage and watch the news and, and have political discussions or whatever, just be aware These inclinations to sin are quick in us. We live in a culture that is so quick to react and we are called to stand out and shine. What do we long for, for our greatest enemy? Jesus. Life. Forgiveness. Hope. And so we love. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians. Put on then, with all this in view, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, then forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. That's the echo of Jesus' sermon on the plain. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. What is harmony? Unity and diversity making glorious sound. Various notes together in just the right way. They're perfect. That is our calling, friends. The only way that we could ever see it happen is through Jesus Christ savior of sinners like me and like you so don't judge love 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 let's pray lord we give praise to you for your incredible love we have received of this love when we did not deserve it we we much the opposite we deserve so much from you wrath fire judgment condemnation and eternal hell but you have given mercy and grace and love and 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 you you lavished it freely upon us lord as we have been forgiven lord help us to forgive as we have been loved teach us to love as you are patient with us lord make us patient with those around us who need you more than anything else And Lord, may they know that we are your disciples by our love for one another. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.